This morning, we want to take a look at a genealogy, uh, Matthew chapter 1. And uh, it is a gracious thing for us to do this. Uh, I trust that we'll all be encouraged uh, by what the Spirit reveals to us in this passage. Matthew uh, chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 through 17. Uh, genealogy, incidentally, is um, uh, the word there is uh, the, uh, related to the word for Genesis. So it is the book of the beginnings of Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 uh, generations. This is the Word of God. One of the great things that my mother left behind as she died in 08, uh, she left behind a book that she had written. And it is called Long, Long Thoughts. That's a line from a Wordsworth poem. And it is taken from her own thoughtfulness as she would sit on the coast of Maine, even as a young girl, and consider um, long thoughts, big thoughts, big ideas. And it's a story. It's something like a genealogy. It's a story about 
our family. And, and it describes um, her family, uh, which came uh, mostly from Germany and with some Dutch mixed in. And then my father, um, from uh, the British Isles, um, I would like to think mostly Scottish, <laughs> with some English. Um, and, and it's a story that, that describes their coming, their, the great, our ancestors coming to this country and establishing themselves here um, in the United States. It, it's, a, it's something we look back on um, with a measure of pride, uh, a measure of enjoyment. Uh, last night, um, last a- yesterday afternoon, I asked my son if he would walk a few blocks away from his apartment in Brooklyn, and if we could see this slide, please, um, to, to take a look at, to take a picture of this street sign in Brooklyn. It's about 10 minutes from his apartment. And you notice here that, that one, of the, one of the streets is Remsen. A- and that happens to be my mother's maiden name. And then another street is called Henry. And that happens to be the name of, of my grandfather. Um, and it refers to actually their families way, way back. Before Brooklyn was a city, my family had a farm in that space. And their presence and their work there in that farm is memorialized, memorialized here by this these streets with my my name on them, my family. Now that and four bucks will get you a cup of coffee in Brooklyn today. <laughs> but it's kind of cool. Families families are are um, we're connected. We're connected by blood. And one of the things we're going to consider today that, that the blood of Jesus is thicker than your blood or mine. Our blood is thicker than my blood. We'll just put it that way. Our blood is thicker than my blood. Um, when, when looking through this long, long thoughts and seeing some of my dad's history, um, I was really hoping that there would be, that there would be a, a Scottish Presbyterian minister line there. Wouldn't that be cool? That, that, uh, and, and I think, I'm not sure this got into the book, but I think that there were horse thieves in that line instead. But sometimes we look back at our family and there are things that we're embarrassed about. Things that we, we wouldn't perhaps want to tell others about. Other things we can be very proud of and perhaps for good reason, but thankful for the work of God through our families. Now, Jesus' genealogy um, is, is historically a strange and even embarrassing piece of writing. It is unflattering in the extreme. And yet what even, even the gritty parts of this, of this genealogy teach us is that Jesus came from sinners for sinners. And that's really good news for everybody here today. Jesus came from sinners, for sinners. And we'll see that this genealogy is, is, a, is a genealogy of grace. It is dripping with grace. It is dripping with the gospel. It is dripping with the beauty of what Jesus came to accomplish. 
So this, this is, uh, as I mentioned, it's a book of, uh, the, of the genesis of Jesus Christ, the beginning of Jesus Christ. And we see, we see um, at the very end of, of, um, of verse 16 that it's, it's really establishing that Jesus, who was adopted by Joseph, and Joseph found his lineage to King David and can trace it all the way back past David and even his lineage, his lineage uh, as, as an Israelite to uh, to Abraham. So Jesus is established as a legitimate heir to David's throne. And now this, you may have, you may have noticed that this, that this um, genealogy is broken into three different sections, each of them containing 14 generations. Uh, 14 generations from Abraham to the, to the King David, from King David uh, to uh, uh, from uh, Abraham to, to David and David to the deportation and the deportation to the time of Jesus himself. It, it's, it's possible that the reason these 14 generations were chosen was because it would be, and 14, the number 14, it would have been easier to, to memorize that, that smaller number. Also, the numerical um, the numerical, the, the way they would put it, the, the uh, numerical value of David's name would be 14. What do I mean by that? If you look at our alphabet, you'll, you can put, you can put the, the value of 1 next to an A and the value of 2 next to a B and so forth. And you can figure out the numerical value of your name. Well, David's name, uh, it, it is a, a Dalit, an Avav, and a Dalit. The, the fourth letter of the alphabet, and the sixth letter of the alphabet, and the fourth letter, again, which is four plus six. Help me here. How many is that? That's ten. And then another four is fourteen. And so you can break down the genealogy into those fourteen sections. It's a very neat thing to do. But it's not accurate. <laughs> And therein lies a bit of the problem. As one, as one singer-songwriter has said in my lifetime, a lot of life is learning what to leave in and what to leave out. Amen? And so we look at this genealogy and we recognize that there are some things left in and some things left out. Um, what, what, uh, what, what, uh, what do you leave out? Notice, for example, in verses 5 and 6. Um, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Really? That's 400 years between Salmon uh, and Jesse. And yet it's described just as two generations in there, uh, Boaz and, um, and, then, and then Obed. Well, keep in mind, that oftentimes, um, Salmon, of course, was, the, was one of the spies in, into Jericho. And that was a very long time, of course, that 400 years then before Jesse. But keep in mind, you can, you can talk about it this way. You can, I could talk in my family of Kirk Charles Ellis, son of Charles Herbert Ellis. Kirk's my son. Charles is my father. But you can, you can in, in the Hebrew mind, you could talk that way because of the, of the line between them. And so uh, several generations are left out. What's significant then is what's left in. What's left in this genealogy. 
And one of the striking features about it, one of the shockingly unusual features about it, is the presence of women. Not necessary for a genealogy. You read the, the genealogy in Luke, and it's just it's just man, son of son of son of draw all the way down, and there's no mention of a woman. But it's not just the presence of a woman. Remember, in in the Bible's time, um, women were devalued, and I say Bible time because they are honored by God's command in the scriptures in a, in a remarkable and delightful way. But in the Bible time, they were more servants than equals, more an employee of the household than a partner with the head of household. And yet, and yet not only are they present here, but it's the kind of women. And it's, so it is these women who are put in um, on purpose with a very, a very clear reason so that we see this as a genealogy of grace. What you leave in is really important. Well, just think for a few minutes about each one of these women. Um, there is Tamar. Tamar, it would have been really easy to omit Tamar. Go, look with me at, verses three, at verse 3. It, it says, Judah, the father of Perez... And it could be really easy. Judah, the father of Perez, and Perez, the father of Hezron, like all the other names that are listed here. But it's Judah, the father of Perez, um, and Zerah, one of a twin. But not only that, but by Tamar. Seemingly an unnecessary addition. Remember the story. Uh, Tamar was a daughter-in-law of Judah, and Judah was a head of which one of the twelve tribes? Can anyone guess? He was the head of which tribe? Judah. It would have been Judah. Right. Good. You're awake. He was the head of the tribe of, of Judah. And, and, he was a, and Tamar was married to one of his sons who ended up being a real cad. And God put him to death. And then they would, they would practice leverate marriage where a brother of the deceased husband would then marry the woman in order to father a child so that the man's name could continue and the woman would have that dignity and, and that uh, financial assistance as well. Well, uh, the second one, uh, the second brother that married her was put to death because of some of his bad behavior. And, and uh, Judah, Judah says to her, um, when the third son grows up, has a beard, when he grows up, we'll, we'll save him for you, right? And what he's really thinking is, people who are married to that woman don't have a very long life. So maybe she'll forget about this. So we'll just keep the, the young one at home. And so true enough, when that third son gets old enough to marry, he's nowhere to be found, and, and, the, uh, the, and, and Judah is just, is just ignoring the commitment of justice. Do you hear me? He's ignoring the commitment of justice for this woman. So what she does is she dresses like a prostitute, positions herself in a way that her father-in-law would see her but not know her, and he did. And he went in and he, he, he made her pregnant. News came out that his daughter-in-law, former daughter-in-law, was pregnant. He was incensed. The loose woman, her morals, bring her out here and burn her. And so she came out 
And she had with her a staff and a signet ring that, she had, that he had given to her in lieu of the payment. And she presents them to the, to the tribunal, said, the owner of these articles is the father. He is disrobed publicly. In this comment he makes, she is more righteous than I. You see, she herself uh, reacted, responded um, as a position of one who had been a victim of this, of this male manipulation and selfishness. A woman would have no standing. She was literally at the mercy of the men in her life. And she was a victim. A sinner. But also, and Judah would say, primarily one sinned against. And so the whole story is embarrassing. <laughs> Why would you want it in there? Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a nice, having a nice big, nice big family tree painted on in a nice huge poster on your house, and you come to Tamar and you just wish she weren't there? I mean, you're a family. How would you like to explain that to your kids? Let me tell you about your great great grandmother. Awkward, embarrassing. Well, then there's Rahab. She had two reasons to be embarrassed, and. and <laughs> Um, t- about about her history, and one of them, of course, that she was sexually loose. She was a prostitute uh, in Jericho. She helped the spies um, as they came in and evaded capture and all of that. But she was also a foreigner. She was a Canaanite, and there she is in the line of kings. She is in Jesus' family. Well, not only not only not only those two, but then you slip down and, and you see um, you see in verse um, um, in in verse six, Salmon the father of Boaz by by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by 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 Ruth, and, and Ruth's story is more beautiful, but nonetheless it was it was from rags to riches. She chose. Listen to this. She chose to die with her mother-in-law instead of staying at home uh, in Moab. Her mother-in-law wanted to go back to Bethlehem. She chose to go with her, which was entering into a state of... She, she, would, have been, uh, she, she would have been an untouchable in Bethlehem, a Moab, a despised neighbor of, uh, of, of, of Judah. But she does. She goes. And she gleans in, in Boaz's field, as you perhaps know that story. Then she proposes to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. They marry. And, uh, and she then becomes, um, her son becomes King David's grandfather. Amazing story. But she's still a foreigner. She gets into the, she gets into the narrative as well. And then finally there's Bathsheba. And this is perhaps the most controversial of all. As I was looking at this over the last week or so, noticing that, uh, that Bathsheba was identified as an adulteress. Some people who wrote that, who's, who's, who I, who I um, respect, and I think that is really missing the point. Do you notice that she's not even mentioned by name here? And that is to highlight the fact that it is David. David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, 
But David was the father. David uh, was the one who... This was not an affair. This is not what you would call adultery. This is, this is a different order of sin. Nathan's rebuke makes that very clear. This is going to be hard for me to say and perhaps hard for you to hear. But hear me out. Nathan's rebuke colors David as far worse than, if I can say it, merely an adulterer or just solely an adulterer. Listen to this. Remember the story. He tells the story that there was a powerful and a rich man who exploited a poor man, took that lamb and served it up for dinner, that pet lamb. And, and he said, you are that man. And we understand this then not as, simply, not as simply adultery, but listen, he used his power, he used his office to exploit a vulnerable woman, a woman who nowhere in Scripture is, is labeled as being culpable. He is an oppressor. He is one who is blinded by his selfishness. He is one who is driven by a sense of entitlement. And that is a classic description of an oppressor. Using power with a sense of entitlement to manipulate the people around him. David, a man after God's own heart. What a merciful God. Well, I want to look at these stories then in the context of how Jesus is described. This is verse, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But I want to look at it in reverse order. I, I, I want to, first of all, think about Jesus as the son of Abraham. And Abraham is characteristic because he is the one whom God saved and he would establish a nation. But that nation then would reach out to other nations. The Abrahamic covenant is about embracing peoples from across the world. It is a missionary covenant. The son of Abraham welcomes, this is my point, Jesus, the son of Abraham, welcomes outsiders. Jesus welcomes outsiders. Tamar, remember, was the only local girl in the list. You had a Canaanite, you had a, you had a Moabitess, and you had, in all likelihood, a, a Hittite. And, and, and so, and, and Jesus, is, is, when we look at Jesus throughout, uh, throughout the, the, um, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, he is, there's a restlessness to see that all the families of the world would be blessed. That's language from Genesis 12. All the families of the world would be blessed. L- look with me for just a moment. You could, you could write this down for later consideration, Matthew chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, but I want to flip over to verse 11, chapter 8, and, and see, just, just see what, how this works. See, see what Jesus is up to here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, 
Uh, when Jesus heard this, uh, this is relating to a, a foreigner who had faith. Truly, I tell you that no one, um, uh, with, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Verse 10, uh, verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. There is... There is a, re- a recognition, as we've seen in, Rebel- in Romans, there's a recognition that Israel's turning their back on the Messiah will be the occasion of many others brought in. That is Jesus' point, his mission, is to bring Gentiles into the family. Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. Two points I want to make out of that. You are welcome here by God's grace. You look around this room and there may be times when you feel that you don't really measure up. Listen, you do not need to be a a Presbyterian heritage to belong here. You don't need a certain kind of blood to belong here. Uh, There are social barriers out there that cannot exist where Jesus is exalted. Barriers in our country due to race to sex discrimination because of one nationality elevating itself above, above another. Whatever your past, whatever your past, our blood, our blood here, connected by Jesus, is thicker than your blood. And praise God for that. You are welcome here. Amen. But there's another side of this. That because you're here as part of that Abrahamic covenant, you welcome others. The, the great commission, of course, is to go into the nations and baptize them, bringing them into the family. And, and so the gospel compels us to look outside of ourselves. We sing, pity the nations. We remember the words of, of Jonah. They, they, the nations, we pity them because they don't even know their left hand from their right. They think they're enlightened to discover multiple choices for gender, for example. But their minds are darkened in a pathetic way. It, you have, do we have compassion for them in, in, their, in their mistakes, in their sins, in their rebellion? Well, do you know do you know what the word inertia means? Um, inertia always always a little bit dangerous for an English major to talk about laws of physics. But give me a shot here. Let me see if I do this right. Uh, the, the inertia has to do with with uh, the, the the law that or the description that objects that are in motion tend to stay in motion, and objects that are stationary tend to stay stationary. They need an outside force to act on them to move them. And so what I, what I want to mention here is, the, is let's look for opportunities to develop inertia, momentum, in the direction of, of, of increasingly being people who look outside of our own walls. Do you get what I'm saying? That's why I, before Presbytery on Tuesday, I thanked God for Andrew, before the Presbytery, and for this, this plan that he's put in motion with the help of other brilliant people in this church to be able to to be able to get these welcome bags out into our community, Amen. it's it's a wonderfully simple thing to do to develop to develop momentum, develop inertia in that direction. As as you as you simply sign up to 
as Karen would link you to a newcomer near you, even give you suggestions on what to say, but you knock on a door and you just say, in the name of Christ or some such, just thank you, welcome, good to have you. And there is a church nearby that you're welcome to see. You see, once, once you get the weight moving, listen to this, once you get the weight moving, it takes energy to stop it. So you get the weight moving, and it's a glorious thing. And that's been, I've just loved seeing that, that you are welcoming others here. Well, the second thing is Jesus, the son of David. This is going to sound strange to you, but Jesus, the son of David, heals the wounded. Jesus, the son of David, heals the wounded. Um, the elite people in, uh, in Jesus' day expected that the Messiah would come as a warrior king. He would come to defeat his enemies and to restore the land. Tolkien opens our eyes to a different perspective that I think is borne out in the Gospels. Listen to what Tolkien says. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Gandalf's words, I think. The, the, the hands of a king are the hands of a healer. Now, who got this in the Gospel? One writer put it this way. Only the no, count, no accounts of Jewish society got it. Only the no accounts. Um, uh, it was uh, one, one Gentile and, and people who were blind and people the families of people who were demon-possessed saw Jesus as the son of David and called him that. These two groups, blind people, have mercy on me, son of David. Not son of Abraham, son of David, because you are a gentle healer. You are a tender healer. Family members of those who had demon-possessed, in, uh, could this be the son of David who's coming to bring healing into our family, into our nation? A tender Healer. Tamar and Bathsheba show up in this genealogy because they needed tender healing. Jesus is for the afflicted. Jesus is for the oppressed. And Jesus is still your tender healer. I know this is, this is perhaps... Um, over, over. I don't know if it's overworn in our society today, but, but this, I think, the text is driving us to say that Jesus is the tender healer for those who are oppressed in our midst. Perhaps you're one who has been uh, overpowered or oppressed by someone who should have protected you, either as a child or as a spouse, male or female. Sometimes when, when one is oppressed, he or she begins to, to believe that uh, they deserve that degradation. They see it as normal, and I must deserve it. Another feature of those who have been oppressed is that they hide, often because of shame, certainly because of embarrassment. Don't want anyone to know. I'll suffer in silence. I'm here to tell you this morning, my dear friends, that Jesus 
is your king. And Jesus is your tender healer. He is your faithful hearer. See, he did not come in his earthly ministry and he does not stand before you today as one who is to judge you, but one who is to heal you. He is drawn to the brokenhearted. Remember, a bruised reed he does not break. He is the healer. And it is wonderful, wonderful to be a church where we see him healing, where people are not suffering alone and in silence, where they don't have to. They don't have to hide in shame or fear because this is a safe place. Because here, Jesus is serving as a tender healer. Finally, as we're working our way back, we see that Jesus saves sinners. Of course, Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua, the name Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. Jesus. Jehovah saves through the work and the life and ministry of Jesus. And I don't have to tell you that this was a motley crew listed in this genealogy. A couple of high points here, or I should say low points. Hezekiah, one of the greatest, described as a great king. Hezekiah was told by the Lord that his children were going to be taken into exile. And this is what pious Hezekiah said. Well, the word of the Lord is good. It must be good that my that, that our family will be going into exile because the Lord has willed it. But then listen to what he said. He said this because, because he also knew. He said, why not? if there will be peace and security in my days. You know how wicked that is? My children will be deported, but I will remain safe. And he was one of the good guys. Others were, were flat out wicked. Ahaz practiced human, practiced human sacrifice. I, I'm saying these things, people, to let you know. These are, these are poster children for the kind of people that Jesus saves. He comes for sinners. He comes from sinners and for sinners. And so you do not need to try to be good enough to get his attention. Jesus doesn't call you because you're holy, but to make you holy. Jesus doesn't call you because you're good, but to make you good. Someone... Jesus saves. Someone must die for your sins. Our, our courts um, all too often get capital punishment wrong. All too often there is injustice there. An uneven application of, of capital punishment. But God gets it right every time. For God's justice to be served, the guilty must pay for their sins or else entrust themselves to Jesus who pays for their sins for them. But someone has to die. Jesus gives us this great gift of mercy, his death for yours. As Isaiah tells us, he was numbered um, with the transgressors, the Gospels as well, in order to bring us home to heaven. So this is an invitation. It's for people who are on the outside. For people who are on the outside. 
you, you are not too bad for Jesus to rescue you. And you are certainly not too good that he doesn't need to. But here's the place where you come to find mercy. Jesus saves sinners. Come to him today and trust yourself. Uh, Turn over life and will and even your sinful past to this tender and merciful Savior. Come in from the outside, but also come in from the inside. Perhaps you've grown up in the church and you've never, you've never acknowledged You're okay with your parents being sinners and needing Jesus. But you yourself have never said, I see myself as a sinner who needs Jesus. So come to him today. He has come to the earth to rescue sinners like you and me. Let's praise his name. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, We thank you so much for mercy. Uh, We thank you for um, your being our God, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David, and our Savior. And we ask you, O Lord, that um, in this time of Christmas celebration, that we would think much of the reason for the Incarnation and be amazed again and again at what our Savior has done. And let us be people um, changed by that glorious gospel. In the name of Christ, amen.